Section 19 of Reminiscences and Table Talk of Samuel Rogers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I don't call Robinson Crusoe and Gulliver's travels novels. They stand quite unrivaled for invention among all prose fictions. When I was at Banbury, I happened to observe in the churchyard several inscriptions to the memory of persons named Gulliver, and on my return home, looking into Gulliver's travels, I found to my surprise that the said inscriptions are mentioned there as a confirmation of Mr. Gulliver's statement that, quote, his family came from Oxfordshire. Bowles, like most other poets, was greatly depressed by the harsh criticisms of the reviewers. I advised him not to mind them, and eventually, following my advice, he became a much happier man. I suggested to him the subject of the missionary, and he was to dedicate it to me. He, however, dedicated it to a noble lord, who never either by word or letter acknowledged the dedication. Bolz's nervous timidity is the most ridiculous thing imaginable. Being passionately fond of music, he came to London expressly to attend the last commemoration of Handel. After going into the abbey, he observed that the door was closed. Immediately he ran to the doorkeeper, exclaiming, What, am I to be shut up here? And out he went, before he had heard a single note. I once bought a stall ticket for him that he might accompany me to the opera. But just as he was stepping into the carriage, he said, Dimmy, your horses seem uncommonly frisky. And he stayed at home. I never, said he, had but one watch, and I lost it the very first day I wore it. Mrs. Bowles whispered to me, and if he got another today, he would lose it as quickly. Major Price was a great favourite with George the Third, and ventured to say anything to him. They were walking together in the grounds at Windsor Castle when the following dialogue took place. I shall certainly, said the king, order this tree to be cut down. If it is cut down, your majesty will have destroyed the finest tree about the castle. Really, it is surprising that people constantly oppose my wishes. Permit me to observe that if your majesty will not allow people to speak, you will never hear the truth. Well, Price, I believe you are right. When the Duke of Clarence, William the Fourth, was a very young man, he happened to be dining at the equerry's table. Among the company was Major Price. The Duke told one of his facetious stories. Excellent, said Price. I wish I could believe it. If you say that again, Price, cried the Duke, I'll send this claret at your head. Price did say it again. Accordingly, the claret came, and it was returned. I had this from Lord St. Helens, who was one of the party. Once, when in company with William the Fourth, I quite forgot that it is against all etiquette to ask a sovereign about his health. And on his saying to me, Mr. Rogers, I hope you are well, I replied, Very well, I thank your Majesty. I trust that your Majesty is quite well also. 
Never was a king in greater confusion. He didn't know where to look, and stammered out, Yes, yes, only a little rheumatism. I have several times breakfasted with the princesses at Buckingham House. The Queen, Charlotte, always breakfasted with the King, but she would join us afterwards and read the newspapers to us, or converse very agreeably. Dining one day with the Princess of Wales, Queen Caroline, I heard her say that on her first arrival in this country she could speak only one word of English. Soon after I mentioned that circumstance to a large party, and a discussion arose what English word would be most useful for a person to know, supposing that person's knowledge of the language must be limited to a single word. The greater number of the company fixed on yes. But Lady Charlotte Lindsay said that she should prefer no, because, though yes never meant no, no very often meant yes. The princess was very good-natured and agreeable. She once sent to me at four o'clock in the afternoon to say that she was coming to sup with me that night. I returned word that I should feel highly honoured by her coming, but that unfortunately it was too late to make up a party to meet her. She came, however, bringing with her Sir William Drummond. One night, after dining with her at Kensington Palace, I was sitting in the carriage waiting for Sir Henry Englefield to accompany me to town, when a sentinel, at about twenty yards' distance from me, was struck dead by a flash of lightning. I never beheld anything like that flash. It was a body of flame in the centre of which were quivering zigzag fires such as artists put into the hand of Jupiter, and after being visible for a moment it seemed to explode. I immediately returned to the hall of the palace, where I found the servants standing in terror with their faces against the wall. I was to dine on a certain day with the Princess of Wales at Kensington, and thinking that Ward, Lord Dudley, would be of the party, I wrote to him proposing that we should go together. His answer was, Dear Rogers, I am not invited. The fact is, when I dined there last, I made several rather free jokes, and the princess taking me perhaps for a clergyman has not asked me back again. One night at Kensington I had the princess for my partner in a country dance of fourteen couple. I exerted myself to the utmost, but not quite to her satisfaction, for she kept calling out to me, Feet! Feet! She was fond of going to public places incog. One forenoon she sent me a note to say that she wished me to accompany her that evening to the theatre. But I had an engagement, which I did not choose to give up, and declined accompanying her. She took offence at this, and our intercourse was broken off till we met in Italy. I was at an inn, about a stage from Milan, when I saw Queen Caroline's carriages in the courtyard. I kept myself quite close, and drew down the blinds of the sitting-room, but the good-natured Queen found out that I was there, and coming to my window knocked on it with her knuckles. In a moment we were the best friends possible, and there, as afterwards in other parts of Italy, I dined and spent the day with her. 
Indeed, I once travelled during a whole night in the same carriage with her and Lady Charlotte Campbell, in the shortness of Her Majesty's legs, not allowing her to rest them on the seat opposite. She wheeled herself round and very coolly placed them on the lap of Lady Charlotte, who was sitting next to her. I remember Brighton before the pavilion was built, and in those days I have seen the Prince of Wales drinking tea in a public room of what was then the chief inn, just as other people did. At a great party given by Henry Hope in Cavendish Square, Lady Jersey said she had something particular to tell me, so not to be interrupted we went into the gallery. As we were walking along it, we met the Prince of Wales, who, on seeing Lady Jersey, stopped for a moment, and then drawing himself up, marched past her with a look of the utmost disdain. Lady Jersey returned the look to the full, and as soon as the Prince was gone, said to me with a smile, Didn't I do it well? I was taking a drive with Lady Jersey in her carriage when I expressed with great sincerity my regret at being unmarried, saying that if I had a wife, I should have somebody to care about me. Pray, Mr. Rogers, said Lady J, how could you be sure that your wife would not care more about somebody else than about you? I was staying at Lord Bathurst's when he had to communicate to the Prince Regent the death of the Princess Charlotte. The circumstances were these. Lord Bathurst was suddenly roused in the middle of the night by the arrival of a messenger to inform him that the Princess was dead. After a short consultation with his family, Lord Bathurst went to the Duke of York, and His Royal Highness, having immediately dressed himself, they proceeded together to Carlton House. On reaching it, they asked to see Sir Benjamin Bloomfield, and telling him what had occurred, they begged him to convey the melancholy tidings to the Prince Regent. He firmly refused to do so. They then begged Sir Benjamin to inform the Prince that they requested to see him on a matter of great importance. A message was brought back by Sir Benjamin that the Prince already knew all they had to tell him, namely that the Princess had been delivered and that the child was dead, and that he declined seeing them at present. They again, by means of Sir Benjamin, urged their request, and were at last admitted into the Prince's chamber. He was sitting up in bed, and as soon as they entered he repeated what he had previously said by message, that he already knew all they had to tell him, etc. Lord Bathurst then communicated the fatal result of the Princess's confinement. On hearing it, the Prince Regent struck his forehead violently with both his hands, and fell forward into the arms of the Duke of York. Among other exclamations which this intelligence drew from him was, What will become of that poor man, Prince Leopold? Yet only six or seven hours had elapsed when he was busily arranging all the pageantry for his daughter's funeral. The Duchess of Buckingham told me that when George the Fourth slept at Stowe in the state bedchamber, which has a good deal of ebony furniture, it was lighted up with a vast number of wax candles which were kept burning the whole night. 
Nobody, I imagine, except a king, has any liking for a state bedchamber. I was at Cassiabri with a large party when a gentleman arrived to whom Lord Essex said, I must put you in the state bedroom, as it is the only one unoccupied. The gentleman, rather than sleep in it, took up his quarters at the inn. One day, when George the Fourth was talking about his youthful exploits, he mentioned with particular satisfaction that he had made a body of troops charge down the Devil's Dyke near Brighton. Upon which the Duke of Wellington merely observed to him, Very steep, sir. I was told by the Duchess Countess of Sutherland what Sir Henry Halford had told her, that when George the Fourth was very near his end, he said to him, Pray, Sir Henry, keep these women from me alluding to certain ladies. End of section 19